You're listening to a rebroadcast of a live walk talk from Instagram. Awesome, awesome. While you guys are typing in the comments where you're checking in from, I'm going to go ahead and get my introduction out of the way. Just in case you are new to my ministry, my name is Matt McMillan. I'm a Christian author. I've written seven books. All my books are available on Amazon. Good morning, good morning. Orlando, Connecticut. Be sure to check out my books if you get some time. Now, if you have read any of my books, please go back to Amazon and leave me a review. I greatly appreciate that. Hi, got New Orleans. Honor God's grace. Good morning, dear. Hello, hello. Now, um, I also have a podcast. I'm recording the latest episode live right now on Instagram. If you want to be notified when I go live on Instagram, go to my profile and turn on notifications because these are random. But the name of my podcast is Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. It's available on all of your favorite podcast apps. So if you are watching this in the future, maybe on YouTube or a rerun on Instagram, and you want to listen to a podcast rather than watch a video, be sure to download my podcast, Walk Talks with Matt McMillan. Now, if you're listening to the podcast and you're enjoying it, pause the podcast if you're in a safe spot and leave me a review. I'm also on YouTube, so if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give me a thumbs up, and if you want to be notified when I release a new Walk Talk, hit the bell button. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, or maybe you're not watching on YouTube, but you want to search some of the topics of past Walk Talks, go to my YouTube channel, go to my page, and just type in the search bar what Bible verse you're looking for, or what topic. I've probably done a Walk Talk on it, okay? So be sure to check that out. I'm not a pastor. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm not a pastor. I'm a regular person just like you. And I'm going to talk about pastors today a little bit more because I'm talking about church history. But today's topic is going to be where did sermons come from? But because pastors give sermons, I'm going to talk a little bit more about pastors. Um, But I'm not a pastor. The word pastor is only used once in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. And we don't see any list of qualifications. We don't see any list of authority. Some people will say an elder is a pastor. That's not true. An elder is different from a pastor. (laughs) So some people, they want to superimpose elder onto the word pastor, but they're different things. So we can't do that. But because of church history and because of man-made tradition, we think this. And I'm going to give you some background on that today. Now, I don't know everything. I also put that in my introduction because I want you to feel at ease when you listen to me speak, watch me on video, or if you read anything that I write. I'm learning and growing just like you. Here's what I do know. Jesus. So that's ultimately who you need to know, what you need to know. And once you have trusted in him once in your lifetime by grace, you know him. Now, when I say I know Jesus... You might think something differently, but what I'm thinking of is the cross and the resurrection. So the cross completely forgave us. The resurrection gave us a new righteous identity, and we receive this by grace through faith once. And then from then on out, we're learning and growing. So I'm learning and growing just like you. All right, now, if you want to contact me, I always welcome your interaction. Please do not message me on social media. Go to my website, go over to my contact page. I'll be glad to interact with you there. While you're on my website, be sure to check out the topics page. I have written ungodly amounts of things. I have categorized everything on the topics page. So you might be interested in some of the things that I've learned about certain Bible verses, scary topics, whatever's going on in your mind might be able to help you out there. 
Also be sure to sign up for my free daily devotional. Just go to the free newsletter tab and you will receive a daily devotional written by me in your inbox early every morning. All right, so let's get to today's Walk Talk. Where did sermons come from? Where did they come from? (laughs) Because they seem to be very, very important for the body of Christ. So if sermons are so important, let's talk about them today. Now, before I continue, I need to make a correction from my last Walk Talk. I said at the very end, see, I proof listen to my walk talks. I'm a student. I just study. It is just a habit of mine. I even study some of the things that I say and write. So when I go back and listen to my walk talks, just to proof listen to it, sometimes I'll say, oh, I got that Bible verse wrong or, oh, I was a little off on the date range there, whatever. The gist is right, (laughs) but sometimes because I don't know everything and because I'm not an encyclopedia, this should actually encourage you. I said towards the end of my last walk talk that if there's only one member, where's the body? Okay, and I said that's 2 Corinthians 14. That's actually 1 Corinthians 14. And 1 Corinthians 11 through 14 has been what I've been doing my walk talks on the past, I don't know, 7, 8, 9, 10 walk talks because I've been doing a lot of talk about church history. I'm going to dive deep into that today to find out where sermons came from as well. All right, now. A podcast I would recommend to you if you enjoy hearing about church history is The Unsunday Show with Mike Adams. And then two books I also recommend nearly every time I do these walk talks. First of all, A Church Building Every Half Mile by John Zins. And then Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola and George Barna. Now, these are not books and podcasts that are rude, aggressive, trying to destroy anything to do with Christianity. All they do is they look at why. Why is it like this? Where did it come from? And then they compare it to scripture. That's what I want to do. (laughs) So when I do these walk talks, I want you to know I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I'm not trying to insult anybody. You know, I didn't even use a specific denomination for the first four or five walk talks I did on this because I don't want to think anybody's I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on certain denominations because I'm not. But as you talk about church history, you're going to have to talk about denominations. So when I talk about denominations, I'm not saying certain denominations are wrong or bad or they're all lumped together. I'm just saying this is where it came from. That's it. Okay. So when it comes to sermons, I'm going to do the same thing. Where did sermons come from? Because... When we go to the Bible and we search Genesis through Revelation, the entire canon of Scripture, how many times is the word sermon used? What do you think? Zero. Not one time, Old Testament or New Testament, do we ever see the word sermon sermon used. Now, when you hear me say that, you can think sermon on the mount. Okay. The words sermon on the mount are not in the Bible. That is a subheading added by the publishers later on for easy referencing. But the subheading was influenced (laughs) by error. So this is why we can't look to subheadings in scripture for truth. This is also why we can't look to Bible commentary in the Bible 
for truth. We actually have to just look at the Bible itself and then base it on the new covenant. There's a lot. I have an excellent Bible. I love my Bible. My wife got it for me 20 something years ago. And it's got a lot of commentary and I've really enjoyed the commentary. You know, the commentary is the little, the little uh, box on the side where it says something deeper about the text or something like that. Well, <laughs> sometimes those commentaries are not true according to that actual Bible. So that includes the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did not give a sermon. So where are we getting the word sermon from? I'm going to talk about that in great detail today, where it actually came from, why we see it today so perpetuated, and what the body of Christ really needs to refocus on based on the Bible. So that's ultimately my goal. Go to history. Let's see where it came from. And then go to scripture and let's compare that. And then let's allow our theology to be formed by scripture, not by history. By scripture, not by man-made tradition. Tradition dies really, really hard. Man-made structure, because it's done that way for so long, it's difficult to hear something that opposes it. And Jesus even talked about this when he was talking to the Pharisees who thought they were righteous through their actions because they were obeying the law. And Jesus said, you have a fine way of observing man-made traditions while setting aside the commandments of God. We do the same thing today. When we attempt to put certain things into the body of Christ that's man-made, but we're setting aside the commandments of Jesus. Now we're not setting aside the 613 commandments like the Jews were in that context because we never had the 613. And if you're Jewish, you had to follow all of it. We're talking about the commandments of Jesus. Okay, when we see the word commandment in, Bible, in the Bible, sometimes our head explodes because of what happened at the Reformation. And I'm gonna talk about that today. But the word commandment, you have to decipher, is this a commandment from Moses or is this a commandment from Jesus? They're not the same. Moses had 613 commandments. Jesus has two. Jesus' commandments are listed in the book of 1 John, believe and love. Moses's are listed all over in the Torah, 613 commandments. And you had to do all of them. If you broke one of them, you broke all of them, James says in James chapter two. Paul said, if you don't continue to do everything, all of those commandments, you are cursed. So you have to repent from those commandments towards the new commandments. And Paul said that in Galatians chapter three. So Deuteronomy four says, do not add to the commandments, do not take away from the commandments. So we can't pick what we like out of the 613, which include the 10 commandments and say, I'll take these, I'll leave those. Oh no, first of all, you gotta be Jewish. Second of all, it's an all or nothing proposition. This is why Romans chapter six says, sin, will no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. And the law was the 613. Okay, and then, the, and then four chapters later, it says, Christ is the end of the law for all who will believe. Yes, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but that is for those who want to live according to the law erroneously. Because on this side of the cross, in Ephesians and Colossians, we see that the law is abolished. Now, if you want to pick up the law and attempt to obey any of the 613, something's going to happen. You are either going to struggle with hypocrisy or fear. 
Those are the only two options. Jesus has an easier way. His commandments, believe and love. And then some people will even turn his commandments into a work. I got to wake up every day and I got to believe harder. I got to wake up every day and I got to love God more. No, these commandments happen organically just the same as fruit is bore through a branch as it is connected to a vine. This is why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branch. So does a branch attempt to love harder in order to produce more loving fruit? Does a branch attempt to believe bigger? No, it rests, it abides. Okay, so those are the commandments of Jesus. And we have a hard time with those when we attempt to take church history and shove it into that stuff, which includes sermons. Now, everybody knows what a sermon is, so I'm not even gonna talk about that. But here's the big thing when it comes to sermons. If you took sermons out of the Sunday church service, you would pretty much just have a bunch of singing and socializing. Okay? Am I saying that's how the church is to be set up? Where do we see the church gatherings written about in great detail? There's only one spot of the Bible. 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. So when I say these things, I am not trying to reform any structure. So many people, when I begin talking about this, are like, okay, so how should we do it? What should we do? That's not my business. <laughs> you're you're going to have to deal with your freedom. Freedom is difficult to deal with because you don't know what to do. But freedom is the sweet spot. So if you want details of what the gathering looks like, go to the Bible. Okay, some people will say, well, let's go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, and we'll see some church structure there. No, <laughs> it's not there either. There is no detailed instruction for any type of church, air quote, service in what those letters are. You know, we have named those the pastoral letters based on what Martin Luther established, which is superimposed on our conscience for the past 500 years. But the word pastor is not in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, or Titus. It's only in Ephesians. And it's not even in 1 Corinthians, where we see the gatherings in great detail. Paul writes it all out. Okay? <laughs> so I'm not telling you what to do. If you're looking for somebody to tell you what to do, you're going to need to go see pastor. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about your freedom and then you do what you want to do with your freedom because it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. I'm not going to bound you again by some type of new list. I'm not going to bound you again by something that's going to think that you have to do more of it or less of it or often or the right way or the wrong way. Freedom is what you have to deal with. And the spirit is in you. The spirit is in me and where the spirit is, there is freedom. Got to deal with it. All right. So I wanted to get that out in the beginning because so many people accuse me in the legalistic community of attacking churches, <laughs> attacking pastors, attacking people. And I don't attack any of them. <laughs> okay. I talk about freedom. And because freedom is not preached, because freedom is not the goal of our pulpits, people think I'm against people, but I'm not against anybody. I'm for the freedom that Christ died to give you. If you enjoy going to a building, sitting passively in an audience, listening to a person give a speech once a week, that's your prerogative. I'm not telling you to stop. 
If you don't do that, I'm not telling you to start. I'm going to tell you about your freedom. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, when I do these walk talks, I try to picture myself talking to my daughter, Grace, because I want to always let her know how free she is. When you understand your freedom, you're going to enjoy this life and the quality of your life is going to improve. And when you begin to stress out about a certain thing, you're going to be like, hold on. What's the deal here and why am I stressing out? So that's what I want to happen. All right. Now, sermons, church sermons, they're, <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. Okay. So if they're everywhere, don't you think that church sermons should be all over in the Bible? But yet we don't see the word sermon used once. Don't you believe that if you or me could only know about God by hearing one person give a monologue at a building once or twice a week is the only way you could know God. Don't you think it would be splashed all over the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament? It's got to be there once, right? We got to be able to find one time, at least one time, of a person named pastor in a pulpit on a stage with a passive audience giving a sermon. Shouldn't it be in the Bible? I mean, we're told this, that you got to get up and go to church and hear, hear a sermon. You got to hear the Sunday sermon. Yeah, it should be there. It should be everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> but yet, according to the Bible, how do we know God? Jesus tells us. John <laughs> chapter 16, verse 46. His spirit. We also see in 2 Corinthians 3, the ministry of the spirit. So a lot of people, when I say these things, they think I'm saying, you should never hear anything about God. You should never go to a sermon. You should never, I'm not, I'm saying Jesus is in you. His very spirit is ultimately who teaches you. Now there is a gift of teaching, but what will that teaching be about? The grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So what will that be about? You're completely forgiven. You're completely righteous. The cross and the resurrection. So when you hear somebody give a sermon or give a speech or preach, I'm going to talk about that too. The spirit within you will disagree with that when it contrasts those things. When it goes against the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, when it goes against your complete righteousness, when it attempts to confuse who you are with what you do, all those things... The, the spirit within you will disagree. Now, some people say, oh, yes, you're testing the spirits. No, hold on. That's completely different. Testing the spirits is, if you read that in, in context, testing the spirits is determining whether or not this person is saying Jesus is the Messiah. Did Christ come in the flesh? That's how you test it. Okay, because John was battling Gnosticism at that time, and the Gnostics said Christ didn't come in the flesh. So testing the spirits isn't hearing a sermon and be like, oh, they're wrong. <laughs> no, we're all wrong sometimes with what we say. We don't know everything. 
We are not to be known by what we know, but by our love. So testing the spirit, I've got a spirit of discernment. I can test everything. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I heard this. Calm down. <laughs> I'm not getting triggered today. I heard this so much growing up. Oh, I've been blessed with the spirit of discernment. I can tell if you're a, a true man of God, or I can tell if that's the truth. No, that's not what that is. <laughs> All right, but the Holy Spirit within you, have you ever just left a church service and you feel disturbed? <laughs> disturbed. You feel disturbed. That's how you know you didn't hear about the cross and the resurrection. You feel absolutely disturbed. Oh, they're just talking about your sinning. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> because everybody in that building is sinning. Oh, you're just sinning too much. Nope, that's not what it is. Because everybody who sins once is too much. You feel disturbed when you leave church service after hearing a sermon when the focus of that sermon is not on the cross and the resurrection. And the Holy Spirit within you is bearing witness to you. That's not the truth. That was error. I did completely forgive you. No, you did not have to ask me to come back. No, you didn't have to repent of your sins in order to get me to come back or to come in the first place. Yes, you are just as righteous as me. In this world, you are like me. I traded my righteousness for your sin. These are the things that the Holy Spirit will bear witness to you. And these things are based on grace. And if the sermon is not based on grace, it is going to stir up more sin. Because Paul told Titus, it is the grace of God which will teach you how to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. So if the grace of God teaches you how to live, again, Titus 2, 11 and 12, shout this to the mountaintops today. It is the grace of God that teaches you how to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. So if you're going to a church service and that sermon is based on everything opposite of grace, you are being taught how not to live an upright, holy, self-controlled life. What you're being taught is hypocrisy or fear. You're going to be disturbed. The Holy Spirit within you as a new creation will say, no, that's not the truth. All right. So sermons are so prevalent in the body of Christ, but they're nowhere to be found in the Bible. So where do they come from? You know, you take the sermon out, you got singing and socializing. You know, sermons are such a big deal. In France, they call their church service Ali à Sermon. I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. I, I might have butchered it. Ali à Sermon. That means go to a sermon. But yet the word sermon is not in the Bible. So where are we getting this from? Why? Has the body of Christ been overtaken by one person who has to give a sermon so that you know God? Pass down tradition because it's not in the Bible. It began with Martin Luther. <laughs> it began before that, but it began 
being perpetuated in its best way, air quotes on best, once Martin Luther came on the scene. Now we're going to go all the way back to 500 years before Jesus lived to talk about where the sermons came from. But I first want to talk about the past 500 years on this planet. The Reformation happened 500 years. Matter of fact, I think it was just a few days ago was the anniversary of it. When Martin Luther rebelled against the Catholic Church, he replaced the bishop and the bishop's chair with the pastor and the pulpit. And he said, nobody can know God unless you hear a word from a pastor from a pulpit once a week. Now, a bunch of that once a week stuff came over from Constantine's era, what he perpetuated, and I'm going to get into that. But we are never instructed to go to a building on Sunday to hear a sermon from a pastor in a pulpit. Not once. We get this from Constantine. Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome in the 4th century, he declared Sunday a holy day because he also worshipped the sun god. And then he took the Roman Basilica, which was a oblong-shaped building with a stage up front and a passive audience, took the Roman Basilica and created a Christian Basilica with a bishop up front, and that bishop sat on a bishop's chair. And because he declared Sunday a holy day, the bishop was to give a Sunday sermon from that chair. Now, I'm going to talk about where that word sermon came from, but before I get get to that, I wanted to scoot back forward over a thousand years later, 1300 years later, approximately to Martin Luther. Martin Luther came on the scene and said, nope, that's all wrong. We're replacing the altar table. We're replacing the bishop's chair. We're replacing the Eucharist. And the whole focus is on one person. That is the deal. A pastor. Now the word pastor was created as a position by Ignatius of Antioch, an early church father in the first century. And then there was pastors during Constantine's era, but Martin Luther took this word pastor and created a king. Because we see this nowhere. And he took this bishop's chair, which means throne. <laughs> you know, the original Greek word for bishop's chair was cathedra. And then a cathedral is house of the bishop's chair, which is house of the throne. So Martin Luther took all this stuff from Catholicism and then created what we see today through the Reformation with the, the pastor being in charge with a, with a pulpit. That's where it came from because it's not in the Bible. So he thought he was reforming everything, but in essence, he didn't reform anything based on scripture. He just tweaked Catholicism. There's still a top-down authority. There's still a passive crowd. When we go to the Bible, we don't see that. 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, we see a group gathering. Nobody's in charge. Nobody's dominating. Nobody is feeding the sheep. And this is where it came from. So many people are like, well, if we don't go and hear a Sunday sermon, we can't get fed. We got to get fed the word. This started with Martin Luther. <laughs> and then 
being fed the word became being fed the Bible. The Bible never tells you to eat the Bible physically or spiritually, but they'll go to something that Jesus told Peter and said, feed my sheep. Jesus did say feed my sheep, but it doesn't say anything about feeding somebody the Bible. It doesn't say anything about feeding somebody a sermon. It doesn't say anything about that. It just says feed my sheep. As in take care of these immature Christians. And what would he be feeding them with? The message about Jesus. The Bible wasn't even compiled yet. So we can't say right there, it's the Bible. The Bible wasn't compiled until hundreds of years later. So we can't say feed my sheep is a pastor feeding the congregation the Bible. That is passed down man-made tradition. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. None of this instruction is in the Bible. And then some will say, oh no, I got you, McMillan. The apostles preached. They went and they formed all of these churches and then they went there and they preached. Okay, first of all, the word preach simply means to speak. That's it. We never see the word preach or sermon used at the same time. These were pretty much speeches. <laughs> and when they went from place to place, it wasn't on a schedule. <laughs> it wasn't according to the church service. People didn't come back weekly to hear them again. They just went places and spoke. And when he went, when, when Paul went to all these different cities, establishing different sections of the ecclesia, he did not establish church buildings where people preached. What did he establish? We see in 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, that's what he established. A body with many members, with everyone functioning, everybody taking turns. At any of these groups, did you ever see Paul instruct any of them to obey pastor? Nope. The only part of the Bible where it says obey your leaders is in Hebrews chapter 13. And those leaders weren't pastors. <laughs> and what would they have to obey? The message about Jesus. Because this is written to the unbelieving Hebrew people who still wanted to go to the temple. So you can't say obey your leaders. This is obey your pastors at a church. Go get your Sunday sermon. Get fed. All of this is passed down tradition of men, nowhere to be found in scripture. The only way we can come up with this theology is if we take what Martin Luther did and shove it into the mind of every single member of the body of Christ. And I understand that this entire system is set up and there's a lot of people who do it. But you know what? Judaism was set up for about 1500 years before Christ came on the, on the scene. A lot of people did it. And look what happened to Paul when he started calling that stuff out. Okay, it's the same thing today. This is man-made tradition. We don't feed on the Bible. We don't feed on the word. We are never instructed to feed on the word. The Bible never even calls itself the word. It calls itself Logon, Logos, Rhema, um, Davar, 
None of those things mean the Bible. These are all thoughts that have been given to you based on the Reformation of Martin Luther setting up. You got to get the word in you, a.k.a. the Bible, from a pastor in a pulpit, and you got to get a Sunday sermon. <laughs> so where did the sermon, where, where did the sermon thing start? Let's talk about that. Okay, the first time we see any of the early church fathers mention a sermon was Clement of Alexandria in the second century. And he said sermons were a bad thing for Christians. This is the second century. Before this establishment by Constantine in the fourth century. But the sermons were starting to pick up speed by the early church fathers. And Clement of Alexandria said, sermons are not a good thing for Christians. I agree. <laughs> okay. And I agree if they're taken as the only way to know God. If somebody is given a speech or speaking or preaching just like the apostles or, you know, kind of just like how I'm doing here, just talking to you without saying, this is a sermon. You got to get here and obey. This is the only way you could know the Lord. I'm against that. In a nice way. <laughs> Love you. Again, I'm not against you. I'm against using the sermon in that style. Okay, speaking's fine. But when we see sermons in the Bible, we don't see sermons in the Bible. <laughs> we see people preaching. You know, a lot of people say, preach the word. You got to preach. You got to preach. You got to preach. Yes. Again, this is pushed in by the Reformation. The word preach in the Bible is simply speaking. We've even turned this into a woman can't be a pastor. Do you see how the Reformation has just twisted that? Think about it. But Clement of Alexandria in the second century was the first one to mention sermons. And he said, this is a bad thing for Christians. Now, sermons began with the Greeks. The word sermon is a Greek word. The first people to ever use sermons were the Greek sophists. S-O-P-H-I-S-T-S. The sophists gave sermons. This started 500 years before Jesus. What's a sophist? <laughs> You're going to love this. A sophist is a, pretty much a philosopher. Somebody who is really good at selling you their idea. Now the sophists... They were expert debaters. This is where we get the word sophisticated. <laughs> it's from the sophists. If you're sophisticated, you oh, yes, yes, oh, yes. I'm really good at oration. I'm really good at making my point. Oh, sophists. The sophists started sermons. That's where the sermons came from. Sermons are not a Christian idea. Sermons are a pagan idea from the sophists who lived 500 years before Jesus, and it is from the Greeks. Now, the sophists were excellent orators, excellent debaters. Here's another thing with sophists. Sophists would 
have schedules. They would set up certain times of the day where you would come to a place and you would listen to them give their sermon. And then they had traveling sophists who would go from place to place giving their sermons. And a lot of these people became sophists for financial gain. Am I saying pastors do that? I'm not saying all of them do that. I'm sure some of them do. But the sophists are the ones who began to get paid for sermons. And a lot of people will attempt to go to (laughs) something Paul wrote to Timothy. Don't muzzle the ox. That has nothing to do with a pastor being paid for a sermon. The word pastor is not in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy or Titus. This is simply referring to taking care of people who are taking care of others. This has nothing to do with paying a pastor once a week or monthly or bi-monthly, whatever, because they give their sermon. Start it with the sophists. The sophists started the sermons so they can get paid. They had schedules. They were good looking. They were eloquent. They were well trained in debates. As a matter of fact, the the word sophist also means person with deceitful arguments. I'm not saying that every sermon is a deceitful argument. I'm saying this is where it came from, the sophists. So the sophists (laughs) were really good at selling people on emotionalism. Stood up, walk real slow over here, walk real slow over here, so made their point. They were so good at oration, people even started clapping in the crowd. This is where crowds clapping came from. Soffits giving sermons started 500 years before Jesus. We see this everywhere in our Sunday services. Am I saying we shouldn't clap for people? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying the sophists who were giving sermons. This is where the crowd cheering one person came from. They would wear certain clothing to distinguish themselves. They were absolute rock stars of their age. Soffits were so popular for certain groups and certain crowds, people would leave their sermon inspired. Hmm? Hello? (laughs) People would make statues out of them. Statues of people giving sermons. Because they enjoyed their sermons so much. (laughs) Soffits. Those who are sophisticated with deceitful arguments or able to give deceitful arguments. This is where the Greeks began with this, I got to get knowledge. You know, the Greeks want knowledge. This is where it started from. The Soffits. You know, the Jews wanted signs and wonders. The Greeks, they wanted knowledge. And it all began with the Soffits giving sermons. It is an eloquent monologue for a crowd. And then you get paid. And then you have the crowd become emotional by what you say. And then you inspire them.
But yet Clement of Alexandria said, this is not a good thing for Christians. Why? Jesus tells us, may it never be like this among you guys. You're all brothers and sisters. There is no one person that everybody has to get all their information from. We even see this in the new covenant community where it is one person who knows everything. A modern day new covenant soffit. <laughs> it's cult-like. I'm not saying it is a cult, but this ideology of one person giving you information on a schedule and you can't know anything unless you hear that person speak to you is not true. You have the Holy Spirit in here. He has written his laws on your heart and mind. This is why the author of Hebrews said, Nobody will teach you because you will all know him from the least to the greatest. But we see soffits today. Sunday morning soffits giving sermons with a Christian hat on it. Sunday morning sermons are based on pagan roots from the soffits who gave sermons. Okay, and then, so how did it get into the church? Okay, that's, that's great, man. We, Greek, Greek history, good stuff. But what has this got to do with the church? This is 500 years before Jesus. I'll, I'll give that to you. Well, about 150 BC, Rome invaded Greece. Rome took over Greece. <laughs> so when Rome took over Greece, the Romans adopted a lot of the Greek culture, including these philosophers named Sophits who gave sermons. Okay, these people who grew up as Roman Christians adopted this sermon style oration into the body of Christ. We call these early church fathers and a lot of the early church fathers when they were doing this, they were operating in error. They were setting up something that is contrary to the easiness of the gospel and the family style setting. People became the focus, not Jesus, because of the sophists who gave sermons. That's what happened. The early church fathers, this is why I say early church fathers, they messed a lot of things up. Just because they were early church fathers doesn't mean they were operating according to the truth of the gospel. This is one of the big deals. <laughs> so the early church fathers stuck sermons into the body of Christ. And then as time went on, Constantine came into power. Constantine, a Roman emperor, got this influence from the early church fathers, created Sunday as a holy day, gave the bishop a bishop's chair and was to give a Sunday sermon from the bishop's chair at the church style, Christian style basilica. Hello, <laughs> this is where it came from. 
from the Sophists through the early church fathers solidified through Constantine and then for the next thousand years we got sermons and then Martin Luther comes along and says nope pastor's got to give a sermon and you got to know the word because before Martin Luther I'll get Martin Luther this the printing press became very popular about Martin Luther's time and Martin Luther said you can't know God unless you know the word and he called the Bible the word before this, the laity, the sub-Christians, were never allowed to read scripture. Only the clergy could. Martin Luther want you, wanted you to read this. But yet he still wasn't basing his entire structure on what was what he was wanting you to read. Because there's no pastor in the Bible. There's no sermon in the Bible. There's no Sunday structure. There's no top-down authority. There's no clergy-lady distinction. There's no place of worship. We have even taken Hebrews 10.25 and said, This is thou shalt go to church. Do not forsake the gathering. The first church building wasn't even erected until 150 years later. And even at that time, it wasn't a place of worship. It was just a place for them to go. You know, Clement of Alexandria said... The first time he ever used the word, he was the first person to ever use go to church. But he didn't say that in a way of going to a place called a church. You cannot go to a place that you are. But we Hebrews 10.25 everybody to death because of the past 500 years of what Martin Luther established. And we just, we just eat it up. Nobody wants to say anything about it. They just want to get up on Sunday, put on their tie, go to the service, air quotes, sit passively in the crowd, listen to one person, give a monologue, give your money so that you can be blessed and then leave and try not to sin. And then come back the next week. That is not the church. That is not the body of Christ that was established. The ecclesia is a living organism. It is me. It is you. It is all of us together as a whole. What we see today is not in the Bible just because it's old. Doesn't mean it's true. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean it's true. It's true if it's based on the gospel backed up by scripture. You know? <laughs> That's the reality of it. We can't just say, oh, everybody does it. Are you just saying? I'm not just saying. I'm pointing to the differences. I'm going back to the beginning and saying, this is where it came from. Why are we doing it like this? But what should we do? I don't know. Figure it out. You deal with your freedom. But here's what I do know. When we go to 1 Corinthians 11 through 14, we see none of this. We see no person given a sermon. We are not ever instructed to be fed by pastor. <laughs> Matter of fact, Jesus said, if you come to me, you will hunger no more. So if I am stuffed to the brim and I'm about to pop, just like I ate Thanksgiving dinner with everything Christ has given me, why would I need to be fed by somebody giving a Christian sermon based on pagan roots from the sophists. 
Especially if that's not in the Bible. Now, if it was in the Bible, go to the Bi go go to a place, get a sermon, be fed by pastor. We probably need to address that. But it's not in the Bible. But because it's old, because granddad did it, great granddad did it, great, 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 and everybody's been doing it for hundreds of years now, let's keep doing it. There was a letter written to a group like that in the Bible. The Hebrews. <laughs> there was another letter written today, <laughs> you know, it would be written to the Americans or to the whoever. You don't want your heart strengthened by grace. That's what that letter would say. Because that's what that letter said to the Hebrews. You have to stop trampling on the Son of God. You have to stop insulting the Spirit of Grace. You have to stop treating the new covenant as unholy. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us all these things. We can apply this to what we see today when we attempt to put individual people who say something or us going somewhere to do something in order to accomplish something with God. We got to deal with that, friends. I understand this is super freeing and it's so freeing. People think, oh, how will we know the Lord? The Spirit! The Spirit! It's always been the Spirit. Oh, this is nebulous. No, it's not. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. It looks like you're repenting away from sexual immorality, repenting away from drunkenness, repenting away from greed, repenting away from dishonoring other, repenting away from gossiping, repenting away from all these things. But none of this stuff is nebulous. It is the spirit in you. It is the spirit with you. So many people think, oh, you can just do whatever you want. Yes, you can do exactly what you want because the more you understand your freedom, the more you understand that is not for me. That is for me. Okay, that doesn't fit me right. That fits me right. Okay, and then the spirit teaches us. You can be in denial all you want. You know you have the spirit in here. The spirit teaches you. The spirit teaches you. So, so where did sermons come from? From the sophists, the Greeks, 500 years before Jesus. It's nowhere in the Bible. Not one time do we see one person giving anything called a sermon. We see spontaneity. We see everybody getting a chance to take a turn and share what they want to share and to love one another, to rejoice with those who are honored, to mourn with those who are, are mourning, to eat together, to just be a big family. And we don't have a family today. We've got a top-down authority. We've got, you got to go somewhere and hear something so that you know something. We got behavior improvement programs, syllabus, 
syllabuses, syllabusi, handed out to everybody. May it never be like that among you. That's what Jesus said. So I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope it's brought to light maybe some error about the word sermon, where it came from, why we do it, how it has gotten to this point. And I hope it's just giving you some freedom. If you go someplace and you hear a sermon once a week and you enjoy it, great. But that's not in the Bible. You're allowed to say what you want to say in the Bible. We don't have anybody in scripture speaking to groups based on their education or their public speaking classes. As a matter of fact, <laughs> Paul even told the Corinthians, I may not have great knowledge. I may not be a great speaker, but I know Christ. That's who you gotta know. The knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, all right, guys, always tell the truth about yourself. What's the truth? You're righteous. You're holy. You're blameless. You're a new creation. There's nothing wrong with you. And you are awesome. <laughs> so always tell the truth about yourself and always be yourself. Love y'all. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this Walk Talk. Please be sure to rate and review this podcast and share it with others. Subscribe right now so you don't miss out on any new content. To be encouraged daily, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. If you want even more information on my ministry or to check out my books, go to www.mattmcmillan.com.